Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU. And Republicans are now one step closer to passing the largest tax overhaul in 30 years. The Senate passed its version of the tax bill by a 51-49 vote in the early hours last Saturday morning. Uh, the House has a different version of the bill. There are major differences that involve the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate, repealing the estate tax, the structuring of tax brackets. All those must be reconciled before the bill actually could reach Donald Trump's desk. So that's our topic today on Noon Edition. And we have a, a whole bunch of great guests for you to uh, that we can, we can get their wisdom here on the air. Frank DiPietro is the director of the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic at the Indiana Legal, Indiana Legal Services Incorporated in Bloomington here. John Mikesell is a Chancellor's Professor Emeritus at the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. Tim Riffle is a tax lawyer for 35 years with Barnes & Thornburg, a partner in Indianapolis. Joining us in the first half of the show by phone will be Pat Wolf, who is a tax and budget specialist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And then in the second half of the show, we're also going to be joined by Pat Rooney, Patrick Rooney, who's the executive associate dean at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. If you want to join us on the program, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at one 877 285-9348. You can also join the live chat by tweeting at Noon Edition. So thank you all for being here. It's great to have you all. I want to turn first to uh, Pat Wolf, uh, who's joining us by phone. Pat, thank you for being here. Um, you're with the American Farm Bureau Federation. So what is in store for farmers with this, uh, this tax overhaul? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is this isn't a done deal. Uh, there are two very different versions of bills. Uh, they have to be reconciled. Um, so the details are yet to be determined, but some of the big things uh, we do know. Uh, one is that tax rates are coming down, um, and that is tax rates for businesses that are incorporated, and then tax rates for people who pay their taxes under the individual code. So uh, the rates are coming down. Uh, for farm businesses, we know that farmers are going to be able to continue the deductions and credits they need for their uh, legitimate business expenses. So uh, that's good news. And then there's some changes in the state taxes. Uh, looks like the state tax exemption is going to be doubled. Um, but some of the things that we don't know are how pass-through businesses or businesses that are not incorporated. We, we don't know yet how they are going to be taxed. So um, what we do know is Congress is on a uh, fast pace to get things done. They expect to have a bill to the president before Christmas, and so far things are on track for that to happen. Is the estate tax an important uh, component of this for farmers? Um, well, farmers care about staying in business, so how the tax code impacts their businesses and allows them to you know, be profitable and continue in the long term is important, but uh, it's been a long-term goal of farmers and ranchers to eliminate the estate tax, and it doesn't like we're look like we're going to get the estate tax eliminated, but the uh, exemption should be high enough to protect most farms and ranches. All right. Frank, I want to bring you in next. Um, Frank DiPietro is the director of low-income taxpayer clinic at Indiana Legal Services Incorporated. So these two versions of the bill, would, what would the impact be on people that you work with every day? And is one bill better than the other? Um, as of right now, they both seem to be 
the Senate version would be better. Um, the child tax credit's going to increase under the House version from 1000 to 1600 For the Senate, it's going to go to uh, $2,000. A thousand of that is currently refundable. It's going to stay that way in both bills. And with the repeal of the exemptions, for the personal exemptions, people who have families um, where they're able to deduct uh, their $4,000 exemption per child, we really need the child tax credit to increase to make up for the loss mm-hmm. of, the, uh, t- of the exemptions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I need to say goodbye to Pat Wolf. I forgot to do that. Pat, I guess uh, you were just with us for a few minutes, so thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. So are there are there other you know other parts of the bill that are concerning to you or these two bills that are concerning to you? In particular, the, um, the repeal, obviously, we'll go into with the assault uh, deductions. Um, the property taxes, while the Senate did finally agree to allow to $10,000 to be deducted, uh, your income taxes that we pay are no longer going to be deducted in the state of Indiana. While that affect other states, uh, blue, blue states, California, New York, uh, much greater than us, still there will be a tax increase for those who uh, pay income taxes in the state of Indiana. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Tim Riffle is next. I want to bring Tim in. Tim's with Barnes and Thornburg in Indianapolis. So, Tim, what what are your um, you know your key takeaways from these two bills? Or the and do you prefer one 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 over the other? Um, I actually do a lot of high income taxpayer things uh, in my practice. So there's a lot of excitement about the either increase of the ex- estate tax exemption or the outright repeal of that. It it would obviously have a beneficial impact on wealthy taxpayers. The income tax things for individuals are probably not getting as much excitement because for a lot of my even higher income people, I think they're going to see ultimately a net income tax increase as a result of the state and local tax deduction that was talked about earlier. Can you explain that a little bit better? So, um, While the tax rates for high-income people are coming down, they're coming down ever so slightly, but a very important deduction that would otherwise appear on the returns of high-income people is going to go away. So okay. ultimately, I think a lot of higher-income people like me are going to wind up seeing a higher tax bill than what we saw under prior law. Mm-hmm. How are you identifying higher income? 300,000 and up. Per household or up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So John, you've you've studied uh, you studied these issues for a long time. So, you know, how how does this bill strike you or both of these bills strike you at this time and and is it going to deliver what the Republicans say it's going to deliver? Oh, I think it's going to deliver something fairly foul. Uh, and I'll explain. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a tax policy person, so uh, um, in, in general, uh, changes in tax structure that uh, broaden the base and reduce the statutory rates uh, are a good thing. Um, but you know, uh, there's an important requirement for taxes, and that's to produce enough revenue to cover the money you're spending. And unfortunately, um, this, uh, this I don't want to use it tax reform because I don't regard it particularly as reform. This tax restructuring bill uh, ignores that basic, uh, that basic concern. Uh, for 2017, our uh, federal deficit uh, was $666 billion. We just finished the, the fiscal year. That's, 3.5% of gross domestic product, um, which uh, is, is higher than we'd prefer, but not Greece. Um, the, and the question is, what is the, um, the, the new tax bill, if passed, going to do in terms of changing revenue? And um, the estimates range from a reduction in revenue of somewhere between one and two trillion dollars. Okay, uh, that's a lot of money, and I would suggest it's probably a kind of a underestimate, whichever one you use, because first of all, uh, there are some gimmicks in the uh, in in the legislation that cause some of the. Uh, 
some of the provisions of the individual tax side of the bill to expire in about, what, eight years. Uh, they, they made them expire after eight years to, to artificially reduce the uh, amount of deficit impact. Uh, it's a pretty good uh, bet that there's going to be pressure when those things start expiring to extend them. So that means the revenue loss is going to be bigger. Mm -hmm. Second thing is uh, everybody doing their, uh, their estimates of what the impact uh, over the 10-year forecasting horizon assume that there's not going to be a recession. Uh, what happens in a recession is, in general, spending increases because of some extra demands placed on uh, provision of government services, and revenues decline because of reduction in bases. So um, when a recession does hit, uh, the gap is going to get even bigger. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, we are very close to full employment. We should be much closer to balance or surplus than we are now. Mm -hmm. It's only going to get worse. And the, uh, the, the new tax bill is going to make it even worse. So, you know, if, if you're a fiscal conservative, as I am, you've got to be pulling your hair because this just doesn't do it right. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 1986 reform, the Reagan reform, uh, they were very careful to make sure that their reforms fixed incentives, eliminated some loopholes, did some other structural fixes, but made sure that as close as possible there was no impact on, on total revenue. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not, that's not in the current system. The current system is, ha, you know, <laughs> we, can, we can just ignore the, the deficit, and I don't think we can. Mm -hmm. I was listening to NPR this morning, and they were talking, I don't know if you heard it, but they were talking about the Reagan tax reforms and mm -hmm. saying that, I guess not too long after they went into effect, they really weren't working, and so they had to pass some individual things to fix it? Well, they didn't have to. It's, well, they, but they, it was... It they was, got lobbied. Yeah, it was increasing the deficit. So is, is that something, I guess, that if we're looking back towards history, is that something that we could do here? If, if it doesn't, this bill does end up increasing the deficit, as some people have said, and of course the Trump administration is saying it's not going to happen to that effect. I mean, well, if we're, yeah. It's going to increase the deficit. And any... All, all of all independent economists basically are telling us that it's going to increase the deficit. Now, there is going to be an impact on growth, almost certainly, but the impact on growth is not going to be enough to to cause the revenue to be uh, completely recovered. We, the the uh, best data suggests that maybe a third of the um, uh, static revenue loss will be, uh, will be re recaptured through uh, induced economic growth. Mm -hmm. But we, we don't really know. Yeah. Tim, do you have a, a thought on that? Well, just, just a couple of things. Um, there, there is a lot of good tax policy, in my opinion, buried in this bill, especially the House bill. Um, for a very long time, people have said there are a lot of personal expenditures that you would not normally take into account in determining net income that we give people a special tax break for. Uh, the deduction for state and local taxes we've talked about earlier. Uh, there are a whole host of tax credits in the House bill that are intended to incite, incite or eliminated in the House bill. They're intended to incent people to spend money on certain things, make certain kinds of investments. There's a lot of cleanup, especially in the House bill, I think, that will create a crisper, more coherent code if it were to survive. And John, yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, and that's what, in, in the Reagan tax reforms, that's what they did. They went, they went for a variety of deductions. They also made sure that they found revenue to replace the loss. But so, I, I agree with you entirely. So, so there's some good stuff in here. Uh, we, we haven't really yet talked about where the 
revenue loss is going, and this might be a big time, good time to talk about that. And, and we're going to have a debate about this for the next month, certainly. But the the idea here is that American businesses are being taxed at a higher rate by the federal government than their counterparts overseas are. That's just a fact. I mean, our current headline tax rate for corporations is 35 percent. The rest of the world, it's 20 or lower which businesses have complained put them at a disadvantage compared to their foreign competitors. So if you want to know where all the money's going, it's going in the form of tax cut for businesses to try to, and a large piece of that is simply to try to level the playing field for them as they compete overseas. So the idea behind that would be that the businesses then would be able to keep jobs in the United States, pay workers more? Is that likely to, to happen? What corporations do with their profits is an interesting <laughs> question that John and I have discussed, uh, debated before. The likelihood is that some of that will go into reinvestment, some of it will go out in the form of higher wages, some of it will go out in the form of distributions to shareholders who will then have more money to do something with. Um, the, that's where the growth behind this bill is going to come from, not by rearranging the way that individuals determine their taxes, because for most of us, it's not going to change very much. Mm-hmm. But So what is it going to drop the corporate tax rate to the House and the Senate? Uh, the Senate would drop, both bills at this point would drop at the top rate 20%. to 20%. Mm-hmm. The Senate would postpone that for a year. The House version would take effect in 2018. The Senate puts it off for, you might think of a little budgetary sleight of hand who postpones it until 2019. So that's the big thing that would be contributing to that deficit then? In my opinion, that's the big deficit creator in this bill. So Frank, from your perspective, for your clients, I mean, this discussion about the big corporate tax reduction, how does that translate to the people that you work with? To be honest with you, I think the people that I work with will see some small reduction in income tax. Uh, generally, one of the things they're doing is they're increasing the standard deduction for uh, individuals uh, from 12000 to $24,000 uh, for married couples. And that's what we, my clientele typically uses already. We don't itemize. Um, they don't typically own homes. There's not much student loan interest. So like things like that, which are possibly getting modified, aren't going to affect my clients. Uh, until about 2026, there'll probably be some small a reduction in taxes, depending on how many children they have, maybe a little bit of a uh, increase in the credits. Um, after that, unfortunately, as the other people here talked about, a lot of these benefits go away. That was how they're doing those gimmicks. And what unfortunately stays are all the corporate uh, tax uh, tax benefits. And I'm really dubious seeing how that's going to translate to low income taxpayers. Yeah, and I'm, I want to know if, uh, again from um, you know your clients if you you know a low income taxpayer that might make I mean what what's a typical amount that a, one of your clients might make? So we're allowed to under um, our funding 250% of poverty. So one person's about $28,000. Okay, so what kind of a tax break might they see? Um, there's going to be, because they do lower um, both bills, although some the House only has four brackets, the Senate's going to keep all seven. There will be some uh, lowering of their taxes. Um, generally, my clients will pay on their about $10,000 of taxable income, $1,000 in taxes, might go down to 800 and then they'll make it up with uh, credits. So they, they'll get some benefit, but tangible benefit, really not much. Okay. Yeah. If you want to join us on the program, we're talking about the uh, tax bills that are going through the or that have gone through the House and the Senate and are now up for reconciliation. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. I heard this simplified by one economist and he said really if you think of it as if you've itemized your taxes they're probably going to go up. If you don't, then you might see a little bit of savings. Too much of an oversimplification maybe <laughs> a little bit Tim what do you, um, like folks who do own a home and the people who might itemize just because of those sort of reasons. Uh, there, there's a lot of language in this bill trying to preserve a property tax, in both bills, trying to preserve a property tax deduction, uh, preserve some form of a mortgage interest deduction, yep. and 
those are really the two that the real estate industry has tried to stick behind. But but even in the in the bills, those are going to be subject to limitations. A ten thousand dollar cap on state and local property taxes, I think, is in at least one of the bills. The more interesting changes into the mortgage interest deduction. Um, there's a fascinating piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago suggesting that the changes in this bill might actually make housing more affordable for people. And the reason for that is there's a cap on the amount of mortgage that you can deduct the interest on of $500,000 in one bill and a million dollars in another. And at least one of the bills would prohibit the deduction of mortgage interest on second homes, which would go along, would make maintaining a second home, a vacation home, a party home in Bloomington to come back to football <laughs> games in, uh, uh, more expensive to own and you know, some people would give it up and then there'd be more housing available for others. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who just, I don't know how much the average house costs around Indiana, but for those less, kind of folks. Less than $500,000. Sure, so for them, it, they might not see an effect. Uh, the preservation of the break is a good thing if you're buying a modest size home. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I want to go back to the. It was a really interesting story on on uh, Morning Edition about the Reagan tax cuts, and and they they talked about how much. I mean, there's a lot of discussion that this is the biggest tax, massive tax cuts, biggest tax cuts since since the the Reagan tax cuts. John, true. Yes, it, uh, it does appear to be accurate. Okay, so I, I looked it up. <laughs> uh huh. And so, so how? I mean, what's the big difference between now and the Reagan tax cuts? The that the whole balancing thing that well, you were talking about. Process is one difference. Uh huh. The Reagan the Reagan uh, reform was very carefully thought out by the Treasury Department. Uh, lots of lots of very bright people got together and and uh, devised the, the package. Uh, they had as their objective uh, to produce a, uh, a structure that uh, reduced horizontal inequity, meaning two people with the same uh, amount of income should be paying the same amount of tax in comparison with the uh, uh, existing system at that time where if you were clever enough, uh, your tax burdens could be adjusted downward. You know, if, you, if you hired enough smart guys like Tim <laughs> to help them, um, it, it uh, went very clearly to try to reduce uh, some um, incentives that were built into the system. Uh, it really aimed at broadening the base in a reasonable way, looking at, at some of the deductions that didn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, and, and did um, dramatically reduce rates. It was a bigger rate reduction than we're talking about uh, in, in either the House or the, the Senate version of the current thing. Uh, and then it went through uh, the full hearing process where every interest group known to mankind uh, took a shot at it uh, so that by the time they had the bill uh, ready to, to vote on, uh, it had been subject to massive exposure, it had been nitpicked, it had been sliced and diced and... and uh, torn apart and every nook and cranny had been uh, had been looked at so um, there were fewer surprises I, we have no idea what kind of surprises are in this current pack of, of legislation mm -hmm. it, uh, it, it's easy to look fondly back at the tax reform act of <laughs> 1986 but I, I will remind my uh, John Mike soul that there are Pages and pages <laughs> and pages of special interest delays, deferrals, uh, oh, yeah. special exception for this sports stadium or that convention center. So it, it was not a pristine process even in 1986 to gather yeah. the necessary votes. But, but in, 
More to John's point, that was a bill that passed with support for both a democratically controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate and signed by a Republican president. That's the kind of legislation that has staying power. This is the kind of legislation that gets passed with only Republican votes, signed only by a Republican president, is going to be at enormous peril for revisitation the next time the Democrats have an opportunity to perhaps engage in the same kind of one-party policy-making to go the other way. We're talking about uh, tax uh, transformation. We won't call it reform. John Michael won't call it reform. Today on Noon Edition, if you want to join us on the program, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area. You can also participate in a live chat by giving us a tweet at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. We're coming to you today, as always, from the Milton Metz studio and I use radio TV building. Uh, we're talking about tax reform, tax transformation, the bills that have been passed by the House and the Senate and are up for reconciliation. We have three guests with us in the studio, Frank Pietro. Sorry, Frank, uh, Director of Low Income Taxpayer Clinic at Indiana Legal Services Incorporated here in Bloomington. John Mikesell, Chancellor's Professor Emeritus, the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And Tim Riffle, a partner at Barnes & Thornburg in Indianapolis. And now we are going to be joined on the phone by Patrick Rooney, who's the Executive Associate Dean at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Hello, Mr. Rooney. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So how would this bill affect um, charitable giving and things that you're involved with? Well, it's, you know, it's hard to know precisely because we don't know where we're going to land with the actual legislation. But you know, our estimates suggest that um, this combination of dramatically increasing the standard deduction and kind of tinkering with the top marginal tax rates, um, we did an analysis comparing um, the status quo to uh, the proposal that came from uh, Congressman Camp uh, for, uh, you know, because that was already, you know, c- concrete and so on. And we estimated that those two things would reduce household giving by approximately $13 billion or almost 5%. Um, if you look at the reduction in the top marginal tax rate for corporations, we estimate that that would reduce corporate giving by approximately 7.6% or $1.4 billion. And then if the repeal of the estate tax goes through, um, you're looking at a wide range of estimates uh, over the years. That's that's harder to nail down. But if you take kind of a midpoint of the estimates, um, historically, that would be about a 22% reduction or approximately a $7 billion reduction in charitable bequest giving. So cumulatively, it would be around a $20 billion a year reduction in charitable giving um, if all these things happen more or less the way that they've been discussed. So can you uh, sort of simplify this for us and and how exactly or why exactly would, would that occur? Yeah, so there's two things that happen, you know, when there's a 
a tax cut. Um, and you know, so one of them is uh, beneficial for charitable giving. That is, you know, puts more money in people's pockets. Um, but the other thing that happens is by reducing or eliminating a charitable deduction that, ra that raises the effective or the after-tax price of giving for the individuals. And, you know, so it's kind of an empirical question as to which one dominates. And what we have found and others have found historically is that in virtually every study that's been done, it, that the loss of a deduction or the increase in the price of giving is actually greater than the impact of the um, uh, the increase in the cash or wealth in one's pocket. Now, I have to say that our estimates don't do what you know Congress refers to as dynamic scoring, right? So we're not taking into account whether or not growth occurs or whether or not um, it occurs quickly or slowly. We're estimating what would be the impact of what would be the permanent impact of these changes uh, if there's no change in uh, the kind of normal growth rate. Mm -hmm. So have you um, so when you when you look at these two versions of the bill, is there one that's better than the other, in your opinion? Well, you know, so yeah, that's hard to to say one's mm -hmm. better than the other because there's a lot of similarities and there's some subtle differences. You know, I think that the the one thing that probably would have a bigger impact long term is that while both of them talk about um, effectively doubling the um, uh, the exemption level for the estate tax, uh, the House plan calls for a doubling and then uh, a repeal altogether in 2024. And, uh, you know, different people have different ideological or philosophical reasons to want to repeal the estate tax. But I would say that that would be something that would be unambiguously bad for philanthropy to repeal it. So, you know, it's, it's bad to increase the exemption level in terms of philanthropic giving uh, through charitable bequests. But it would be even worse to repeal it altogether. All right. Uh, Patrick Rooney, thank you for joining us today. We're going to uh, move on to a caller. We appreciate okay. your, your being here. Thank you. All right. We have a caller on the line. His name is John from Bloomington. John? Yes, there was uh, an article in Politico um, recently about uh, some tax analysts taking a look at, I believe, the Senate bill and finding just uh, a lot of basic drafting errors and infelicities, including ambiguous language that are, would la allow uh, people to game the system in terms of uh, getting more tax relief than is intended. And I'm wondering what the panelists know about just basic uh, howlers in terms of how the bill is drafted and what the magnitude of the consequences would be. I'm going to ask uh, John Meixler, our tax policy expert here, if he has any ideas. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> have you seen this I, in other I, bills? I, I have, I've not seen the, the bill itself. Um, I, I saw an interesting picture on Twitter as the uh, Senate was about to vote on it, and apparently the copy that was being voted on oh, still yeah. had handwritten pencil marks on the side as I would mark up an agreement. So it, it was passed at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. I, I have little doubt that there are things in the bill that could stand some improvement. Whether it will actually happen as a part of the conference committee or get postponed to a later date, I don't know. but. It is not at all uncommon in a 500-page piece of tax legislation, especially when you try to combine two of them, for there to be a need for technical corrections, and Congress knows how to make those. Okay. All right. Thank you a lot for the call. All right. Our phone numbers again are 855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also tweet us uh, at Noon Edition. Tim, can you explain a little bit of what work is being done now to reconcile these bills, what that might look like? Um, it, it's a group of senators on one side of the table, a group of uh, members of the House of Representatives on the other, and a whole bunch of staff people sitting behind them going through page by page saying, what can we do on this? What can we do on this? Can we swap this out? I mean, it's, it's horse trading. It, it's what legislators do. At the end of the day, they'll say either, okay, we've got something that we think we can get through both houses, 
Or as we were talking earlier, there may be a chance that one side just caves and said, one bill is good enough and we'll just take it back to our membership. We've covered a couple different groups that have held protests this week, one outside Senator Young's office in Indianapolis. So I'm just wondering, are they are they protesting too late? Is this kind of the, the things that they're protesting again? Are, are they are they kind of done? Um, I, I missed the coverage of what they were complaining about at Senator Young's office, but uh, yeah, I think it's too late. I, I think something is going to get passed because the Republican Party absolutely needs to be able to say they did something this year, and this yeah. is their last opportunity to do something. Yeah, the time the time to have done something was uh, on election day last. Uh, uh, I, I would agree with that. The, something was going to get done if. If, if the Affordable Care Act wasn't on their list of things done, this has to be. So, I heard that the uh, bill will be passed by December 20th. That's the target date. And I have the sneaking suspicion that uh, President Trump doesn't much care what's in the bill. He wants, he wants something that he can yeah, sign. At this point, I think if for the Republican Party, it's more important that there be a bill than on any particular item that's buried within it. Frank, we have a question that, that I'm going to direct to you first. You may or may not, uh, this may or may not be um, your client base, but how does this affect seniors? Seniors have been, a lot of the uh, deductions, one particular one is the medical deduction. Um, and that is repealed in the House bill, but not in the Senate. The Senate actually, um, currently to deduct your medical expenses, they have to be 10% of your adjusted gross income. Beyond that, you're able to deduct uh, what they are, nursing home expenses, uh, operations, hospitalization, medical uh, drugs, things of that nature. The House completely eliminates that deduction. The Senate actually improves it. It may, drops the threshold from 10% to 7.5% for the next three years. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm not sure that's going to stay, though. I know that was, I think, uh, Senator Collins wanted that in the bill on the Senate side. That will help seniors, but I know the AARP is against this bill. Mm -hmm. So they've said that they feel, with the, even though there's going to be the increase in the standard deduction, that again eliminates a lot of deductions seniors will take, mortgage interest, because um, a lot of seniors nowadays own their home. They're not traditionally renters. So things of that nature, unfortunately, ARP says, are going to harm seniors. Okay. Tim, did you? Uh... I was going to say, seniors should have their mortgages paid off before <laughs> they're seniors. That's, that's good, good. <laughs> Good financial planning to try to get that done. But not all do. I understand. Right. What happens with the elimination of the Obamacare individual mandate? Frank, could you speak to that one? So, again, one of the gimmicks they're saying in the Senate bill, the House keeps the individual mandate. The Senate bill uh, requires it to be repealed, and they feel that because um, there will be no longer be any subsidies, the government will spend uh, less money on in insurance because people won't be buying insurance anymore. So that's one of the gimmicks they're using to uh, say how we'll, we'll lower the cost of the deficit, lower the deficit. However, um, that's one of the things where the House may actually accept the Senate bill without any kind of compromise committee because they can then say, well, the Senate's the one that eliminated the individual mandate and not the House. Mm -hmm. That seems like that could be a big sticking point, you would think, but no. Again, it's about you know, where do you want to take the, the, the arrows if you're going to do one thing. The reason the House had to go through and monkey with things like the medical expense deduction and mortgage interest and this long laundry list of things that taxpayers like is because they had to, to be able to fit within the budget constraints. By getting rid of the... Uh, individual mandate under the Affordable Care Act, the Senate didn't have to do all those things. So, you know, do you want to take one big grenade or a whole bunch of small fire? I mean, that, it, it's a political calculation. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the issues that's been hot uh, here in Bloomington, and I'll ask John Mikesell, I'm sure you've worked with numerous graduate students over the years, and uh, the, graduate, the, the student waiver, the tuition waiver, would be eliminated in the House bill, but not in the Senate bill, as I understand it. That really uh, ruffled some feathers here with the House bill. Is that something that should be taken away or, or not? <laughs> it looks like we might have some disagreement on the board. On the, no, 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 I think we agree. It's just... My, my colleagues are wondering if I'm going to say what I think. <laughs> Look, 
if you're a if you're a straight up pure tax policy person, mm-hmm. those tuition waivers are income in kind, and the tax system includes other income in kind that's received. So the logic is, yes, indeed, they should be taxed. They should be within the within the tax base. Mm-hmm. Now, if that provision stays in the law, I am absolutely positive that colleges and universities are smart enough to figure out a way around it mm-hmm. by reducing their tuitions mm-hmm. for graduate students. They'll reduce their tuition for graduate students, they'll reduce the amount of waivers, it'll all wash out, no harm, no foul. All right. Something like that. I, I, I do not. I do not believe that uh, um, tuition waivers are going to ever be f- fully taxable. But maybe not. I don't know. Tim, um, we, we were chatting about this before the show, figuring this 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 question would come up. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to say I learned tax policy as an undergraduate student at this university from John Michael. So my, my opinion is exactly the same as his. <laughs> but this would also tax it, um, if I'm if I'm correct. If you, if you work at IU and you get the tuition benefit for your kids or something, that's taxed as well, then, right? Uh, there's there was a big New, New York Times that. story that seemed to say yes, but as we were looking through the bills before the show, it appears to be limited only to the graduate student one for the current doctoral student. So we're really not sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Again, if you have questions, we have about 10 minutes to go. If you have questions about this tax bill and how it might have an impact on you or other groups that you're interested in, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also tweet us at Noon Edition. So, Tim, I'm going to direct this towards you just because you were talking about some of the other special interest things in the Reagan tax bill. But do you know if there are other things in this one that would sort of make you say, why is this in the tax bill? There, there are, again, until you get to the final version, I mean, it's really the stuff that happens in the last night as you're passing the bill that you need to figure out. But it, in 1986, it was all about when do these provisions apply to me? So do I have a, a, a window here to get my deal done before it applies to it? I mean, these are grandfather provisions to, that were the worst aspects of the 1986 bill. There are fewer of them than what either house has passed of that sort in here this time around. That, I, we, I think that the, we've been able to find. That we found at this point. <laughs> I, I think the, the more interesting thing from a tax policy perspective, and this may be a little deep for some that don't do this for a living, but as a tax lawyer, I think the piece of the bill that's going to be the hard, the two bills that's going to be the hardest to police is the reduction on pass-through income, the tax on pass-through income. What is pass-through income? Um, If I conduct a business in a partnership with John, we don't pay taxes on our profits at the business level. John takes his share of the profits and puts it on his tax return, and I take my share of the profits and put it on my tax return. Now, if our business, we're both off in Florida somewhere and we're just letting this business run, what Congress is saying is that that income that John and I get should be taxed at a lower rate than what wages should be taxed at because it's business income, just like what corporations, why they're getting a tax break. The hard part for me is John and I both work in that business trying to figure out what part of our profits are the result of our labors and how much of those profits are the result of our investment. Both bills have an op- a place trying to sort out how much of which should be taxed as ordinary and how much of that income should be taxed at a preferential rate. And I think that's going to be the hardest part of this to try to sort out mm-hmm. when yeah. doing co- planning for taxpayers. And that's significant? That, that, that's a significant amount of money it, with businesses like that that are passed through? It, it's an enormous part. Uh, We'll go back to the 1986 Act. The 1986 Act 
eliminated the opportunity for built-in profits and corporations to escape taxes altogether when he sold the business. That was the big revenue raiser in the 1986 bill, paid for a lot of other things. As a result, people have been doing, starting new businesses in a partnership or an S-corporation form ever since. So that they don't pay taxes at the corporate level. And this is where, I mean, I haven't formed a new regular corporation in my practice, except for public companies, in 29 years. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a, such a divisive political issue, as many are these days. You hear President Trump talk about the most massive tax cut in history. He even used it as part of his justification for supporting Roy Moore in Alabama that no Democrat voted for this massive tax cut, so how could you vote for a Democrat for the U.S. Senate? On the other hand, you have Democrats who will say that's all smoke and mirrors, that for a lot of people this is going to raise your taxes. Can you three, and I'm asking for some sort of a non-political uh, independent judgment as tax experts say, is there, I would assume that neither one is quite right, but is there a, you know, what 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 is this? Can you... Summarize. I would say more for low-income taxpayers, there's not going to see much difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe a little bit more if the Senate bill gets passed with the child tax credit, they can get some additional credits if you have a lot of children. I have three, so hopefully you know, the Senate version will get passed more than the House version. Beyond that, I mean, with all the benefits that are going towards corporations, will that eventually go to taxpayers? Um, maybe higher taxpayers will get more. Maybe the stock market will go higher. People will have retirement accounts. They may see more growth, so may, maybe that will help them. But, you know, I would definitely – I don't think there's going to be much change, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would characterize this bill as the largest tax cut in history. It's a large tax cut for businesses. It's paid for by a number of important tax increases for individuals, and I don't think individuals should be fooled by a slightly lower – headline, top-line tax rate that may apply to them because I think it will wind up being applied to more income. Mm -hmm. John? John's thinking. And what the thing is, there may be 60% of the stuff isn't bad. Um, getting rid of the alternate minimum tax strikes me as a good thing. Uh, territorial um, corporate income uh, tax approach is a can good. A can good, you explain that one? Territorial. Well, when we have a, a company that has uh, operations outside the United States, the, the uh, current uh, current law says. The United States is going to, to tax the profits of that that firm throughout the world, worldwide. Territorial says we're going to tax the profits made in the United States. Okay. Okay. Yeah. On our territory, that's basically what the rest of the world does. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I'm not a corporate income tax guy, so you know Tim is. Maybe he can uh, mm -hmm. correct it if I've got it wrong. But that's I think basically. Basically, right. I, I, again, this is another place where our tax system, in terms of U.S. corporations operating overseas, doesn't treat U.S. corporations the same way that France treats French corporations. So, I mean, that is a big chunk of the revenue loss here is by not trying to do that anymore. But the reality is we don't do it very well anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, how much revenue is really going to be lost and how much of this has already been lost as a result of corporate self-help with the help of people like me? I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah. One of the, one of the uh, real problems that I see with the existing corporate tax system is there's massive difference between types of corporations uh, in the effective tax rate that they, that they pay. They're all paying the same statutory or legal rate. But they have different access to uh, uh, to preferences of various kinds. So you have some large corporations that we sort of think are profitable that haven't paid any federal corporate income tax, like ever. Uh, again, this bill I think will go a ways toward addressing that because 
Today, the corporations that pay the very small tax bills are the ones that have the largest overseas operations, where they've been able to at least postpone the date on which they have to pay those taxes indefinitely. So, yeah. so we've heard a lot about um, a lot of words about what this is: reform, transformation. I've always heard about the idea of tax simplification. Does this simplify anything for people? Oh. When you're getting rid of all the itemized deductions, yes. Uh-huh. Um, basically, they say it's going to go on a postcard. You mm-hmm. file your tax returns. And if you're no longer itemizing, well, you don't have to worry about what your mortgage interest is, your student loan deduction. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Things of that nature. Um, all you're going to have is your gross income, a couple of credits, and you're done. So mm-hmm. there is some simplification on the uh, low income side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, is that going to hurt your business? Um, <laughs> I don't do tax return preparation. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, no. yeah. But I, I think for individuals, it, it will have a simplification effect. I mean, as, as just one taxpayer who every year has to fill out an alternative minimum tax form, mm-hmm. it is a parallel system that requires me, after spending two days yeah. trying to do my taxes the regular way, I just need to spend one more doing it a different way and see which is higher. I'm, I, I think it will, it will make life simpler for individual taxpayers. Mm-hmm. John? Well, you know, one of the funny things is right now anyone can use the standard deduction. You don't have to itemize. It's your, well, it's your I'm choice. I'm not an idiot. Not no, okay. <laughs> that's, that's right. But, but if, you wanted a simple, if you wanted a simple tax, you could just say, to heck with keeping all of those records. I'm just going to go standard deduction. Mm-hmm. Th- this makes a huge <laughs> step forward. It could go farther by eliminating mortgage interest deduction altogether, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of system that John is proposing. But those deductions, that would hurt the low-income people, right? Um, I mean, or, or the non-profit, no, non-prof- non-profits. No. Would it, no? no. Wouldn't hurt charitable giving? Well, that's one of the deductions you get. And as oh, the standard deduction goes higher, yeah. then you don't okay. itemize. But one of the things that's funny is tax preparation. You used to be able to deduct that. Yeah. You can't deduct those yeah. fees anymore as well. So, <laughs> All right. We're out of time. I want to thank you. You guys have been great. It's been interesting and uh, rollicking at times. I want to thank uh, Frank DiPietro, John Mike Soul, and Tim Riffle, and also Pat Wolf and Patrick Bruni for joining us earlier. For our producer, Angela Batista, assistant Alex Graham, engineer Mike Pashkash, and co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.